Welcome to Me Time, the podcast for women in midlife who've been taking care of everyone else and now say, it's my turn to take care of me. I'm Kim Aceto, health and self-care coach for women in midlife and your host. Thank you for spending your precious me time with me right now. Enjoy the show. Okay, so today I'm here with Erica Leon. Erica is the owner of Erica Leon Nutrition, an outpatient group nutrition practice in White Plains, New York. With more than 30 years of experience, she and her team help individuals help develop a positive relationship with food and work tirelessly to treat and prevent eating disorders and disordered eating in adults, adolescents, children, and families. Erica creates a safe and nurturing environment for individuals to explore their attitudes about food, weight, and body image. She utilizes a non-diet health at every size approach, which helps chronic dieters and those in recovery from eating, eating disorders to discover their natural internal signals of hunger, fullness, and satisfaction. She is certified as an eating disorder dietitian with the International Association for Eating Disorder Professionals and as an intuitive eating counselor. Erica's practice offers a wide variety of services, including individual and group counseling sessions, cooking programs, and in-person and online intuitive eating and nutrition workshops. She holds a bachelor's degree in nutrition from Cornell University and a master's degree in clinical nutrition from New York University. Erica has written many professional articles on nutrition, is a frequent speaker on topics such as eating disorder treatment and prevention, and belongs to many professional organizations, including the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, Dietetic, Diet, how do I say that? Dietetics. Dietetics. Okay. <laughs> it's a mouthful. Yeah. Um, the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals and the Academy of Eating Disorders. I think yes. I said eating okay. disorders a lot there, but I think it's yes. super relevant. Erica, thank you for coming onto the podcast. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Kim. Yes. Great. I'm so glad to have you here. And we're going to talk about eating disorders, um, which I think is, I mean, just eating in general and disorders in general with that um, is very relevant to all of us women, as we've all at some point have been on at least one diet. <laughs> so we'll get into that. I'm, I'm sure more than that, but yes. We'll yes, that is that. right. That's right. But first, um, you know, as this is the Me Time Midlife podcast and your first time guest, what do you enjoy doing during your me time? So um, I really like walking. Um, you know, it's a nasty day today, unfortunately, but I love walking in nature. I love Broadway. I love Broadway. I go to a lot of shows when I can. I love listening to music and I enjoy cooking also. Nice. Right yeah. And I listen to podcasts. So that's what I do. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, that's great. You seems like you have a, a a nice array of of different things that are both out outside and also at home. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. So, in your bio, I uh, talked a lot about, or you know, you share a lot about you you know your education and experience and expertise in eating disorders. Um, and you also talked about disordered eating. So that's interesting. I've heard of an eating disorder, but I haven't heard of disordered eating. So would you please define what each of those means? Absolutely. So the first thing I'm going to say is that 
disordered eating and what we consider a diagnosable eating disorder, they exist along a continuum. And there can often be a fine line separating one from another. It's really the degree to which a person is suffering. And that um, suffering in terms of how much time they spend thinking about food, how much time they spend thinking about their body and body image. So I'll give you the exact definition of an eating disorder. Um, it is an illness where people experience really severe disturbances in eating behaviors and their related thoughts and emotions. And it can become very, very physically and mentally destructive. And we actually have um, categories that the, I'm going to say the American Psychiatric Association has this book called the DSM-5, and it breaks down eating disorders into very specific names, such as anorexia nervosa, which most people have heard about, bulimia, binge eating disorder, and there are some other ones, but those are sort of the three main categories. Mm -hmm. um, and um, let's see. Disordered eating, on the other hand, um, is similar. It's really disturbed in unhealthy eating patterns. It, it, it encompasses things such as restrictive dieting, compulsive eating, skipping meals, um, perhaps um, binge eating, unbalanced eating. Some people use diet pills, laxatives. Um, so that's more disordered eating. I see. So those are not in the DSM-5. They're not, they're not in the DSM-5. The DSM-5 is a very, very specific criteria. And what they have now, it's, it's, a, it's actually a new thing. There are behaviors that are considered eating disorders, but aren't specifically fitting into the categories of anorexia nervosa. For example, anorexia nervosa is a very specific, has specific criteria, and you need to be at a very low body weight um, and really being very fearful of gaining weight. But we do see now, we see anorexia in people in larger bodies as well. So there are some other criteria, we call it other, I wanna say it correctly, other specified feeding or eating disorders. I don't mean to be too complicated. The bottom line is that this kind of these three main groups, um, mm -hmm. anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, and then there are other subgroups, if that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. This is like a whole field. I mean, when I was reading your bio, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like this is an entire field. And are most like eating disorder professionals like yourself, are they mostly women or are there any men? Oh, there are absolutely men. Really? Because um, eating disorders do not discriminate. Mm. Um, and the treatment providers who work with them are, are really, I'm going to say this, of all sexes and, and all gender um, <laughs> identities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, eating disorders don't discriminate. That's all I can say. Um, and I know it sounds like it's really, really complicated, and I'm just going to make it really simple. I'm going to say that when a person has any disturbance in their thinking, in their relationship to food, if they're thinking about food all the time and it's really impacting their daily living, it's a problem no matter what we label it. I think we get into problems when we label things, and I think it makes some people, for example, feel like their eating disorder or their problems aren't large enough for treatment. And I think it's a really, that, that's where the diagnoses is a concern to me. I feel like it's better just to focus on what's going on in our head, what are our behaviors, no matter what our body size, it makes no difference. If we have an eating disorder, we have an eating disorder and everyone who suffers deserves treatment. Now, let me back up just a, a second because this is where I start to get interested in yes, what you do, but why you do what you do. What got mm -hmm. you into this line of work? You know, it's so interesting. I got into this line of work. I've been a dietitian for a very long time and 
I first started working in a very traditional way, giving people diets. I was a weight loss dietitian. And what happened is that the longer that I did that, the more I saw people coming back, regaining the weight, feeling really frustrated, really feeling terrible about themselves, trying even harder to be on the diet. And the harder they tried, the more they would, and I'm going to say, quote, unquote, unquote fail. They really didn't fail, but they felt that they failed. And so I became what I call a non-diet dietitian because I saw the damage done by diets. I saw the psychological effects. I saw kids and families suffering. You know, we have this, I'm just going to say this, this I'm going to put in quotations, the war on obesity. And I hate the word obesity because I think it pathologizes a body type. But this war on obesity, everyone's saying, oh my God, you know, you, your, your BMI is too high. It creates panic and um, a poor relationship to food because people are so worried they have to restrict their diet. They have to restrict their food to lose weight. And so that's kind of what I got into this by being a weight loss dietitian at first and then seeing the damage done by diets. And I, I thought to myself, there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way. And I started to see eating disorders. They came into my practice. And frankly, it is a very specialized field. You need to have a lot of knowledge. And people that don't understand eating disorders who do treat are really doing a lot of damage. So I, got a, I, you know, I really realized I needed to have additional training. And so um, people who do, do work in this field, I hope they have additional training. <laughs> so Yeah, really, really interesting. And like I said in the very beginning, um, I mean, I don't know any woman who has not ever been on a diet or have some kind of dysfunctional maybe relationship with food because it's, I mean, a part of the way most of us have grown up. Yes. Um, may, I, may I make a comment about sure. that? Sure. The way that we've grown up. I like to talk about diet culture and it really describes the world and the environment in which we are raised as, as little girls or in how we're, how we're, um, you know, again, how we're raised mm -hmm. to be, to think that we should be pretty, we should be small. Like someone, someone decided that all women should be small and skinny. And then I have to ask the question, where did that come from? You know, we all have genetic body types. Some people are tall, some people are short, some people are round, some people are pencils. Like everyone has a different body type, but you would think listening to Madison Avenue, listening to the advertisements on television, the world, the diet programs, that we should all lose weight. And it becomes, that's really, I believe, the one of the trigger points for someone developing disordered eating and an eating disorder. It's really about diet culture. You know, every one, every one of my patients who has a severe eating disorder or disordered eating has said to me, I can remember my first diet like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. So that I, I do believe that the diet culture is a very big problem behind our the, the increase in eating disorders. Right, right. And it's fueled by dieting companies who, you know, make money off of, uh, off of this. You know, the right. diet companies, I'm going to say this number, it's somewhere between 66 and 72, $72 billion. That mm. is the diet industry. And they make money off of our feeling bad about ourselves and having to lose weight and keep going on another diet and another diet. So you're right there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so easy to get caught up in, oh, this new diet is out. This, this might be the one, right? This is the one. But then we, well, I call it with my own practice, you know, a diet cycle where you mm -hmm. go on a new diet and you do well for a couple of weeks and then it's too hard and then you quit and then you feel bad about yourself and you feel like a failure. And then 
you get motivated again to start a new diet and then you find another one, right? But every time it messes with your body and your mind Mm -hmm. um, more and more and and you just get caught in this cycle. And I mean, I'm I'm guilty of that too when I was um, younger, especially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me say I'm, I'm guilty as well. And what people don't realize is that going on a diet for intentional weight loss actually makes your metabolism, it lowers it. And when you don't you know, when you can't continue on the diet, which by the way, 95 to 97% of all diets fail, meaning that by two years, most people will, will have gained back all and more of their body weight. So it actually makes you larger in the end. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really important to kind of make that <laughs> for people to realize that. Right, right. Yeah. I think that they do just, they don't understand. Well, if I could only stick to it, right, then I wouldn't have gained the weight back. What is wrong with me, right? And there we go into that negative self-talk. Yes, it's this magical thinking. Well, you know, well, this new diet will work, this new one. And, you know, it's almost like if you're not on a diet and you're not a part of diet culture, you're almost strange because Mm. it's kind of all that people talk about. That's conversations. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. What diet yeah. are you trying right now? What are you exactly. on? How are you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's an it's an obsession, right? It absolutely, is an obsession. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So, um, let's talk about midlife women. What What do you see as most common in midlife women when it comes to this? Well, you know what's interesting is that midlife. A lot of people don't realize this that during midlife, during perimenopause into menopause, our hormone levels are shifting or changing. And the fluctuations are very similar, kind of parallel to what happens in adolescence. And so the combination of hormonal changes, changes, as well as what happens to us during midlife, we know midlife women, we have so many things going on. It's just responsibilities, some kids, parents, sick parents, um, divorce, death. I mean, all these things that happen in our lives and they are kind of magnified and then magnified because of our hormonal imbalances. So if someone has had a previous eating disorder, let's say earlier in their life, this hormonal sort of cascade can be a a triggering um, moment and can actually lead to an eating disorder. And there are new eating disorders that also develop in midlife women. Um, Again, just because of this, what I've just been describing, this sort of chaotic hormonal stuff and what's going on in our lives and dieting. and you know we have studies that show that more than 13% of women over 50 have at least one eating disorder behavior. Um, and I, I really do think it's higher. You know That's what I see in my practice a lot. I see women really struggling to try to not have the menopause <laughs> belly. And you know that's another problem that people feel like, oh my God, my body's changing, it's shifting. I'm, I'm gonna freak out, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat less, I'm gonna exercise more. And before a person knows that they've developed you know, a poor relationship to food, and that's what I'm seeing in midlife um, a lot. Really. Yeah, it just seems like it's just this journey, you know. Um, it's like, it, and it, what's interesting too is, so I'm half Mexican and half Taiwanese, and my partner is white, mm-hmm. <laughs> Caucasian, <laughs> and we have completely different um, perspectives on food, and we grew up differently. Um, Mm -hmm. like in her family, like the less you ate, the, the, like the better, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, wow. Look at you have so much self-control and, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're so skinny or whatever it is in my family. If you don't 
eat your whole plate, then it means you didn't like the food and it's an insult. Yes. Yes. And even in our culture, in my cultures, um, well, especially the Mexican culture, like it's, it, it's okay to be a little bigger. Like we're not trying to be really thin, you know, whereas in my partner's culture, it's different. So that's another area. And we both bring this to now, um, you know, one household where we're trying to figure out how we're going to eat and what that's going to look like. And well, you're absolutely right. I hear that a lot that depending on your background, you know, you grew up with sort of whatever your relationship to food is. And this body image is, you know, it's again, it's a really big thing. And I, I want to just make a point that eating disorders don't discriminate. You know, we have this image and I blame the media with this image of this thin, white, anorexic, young teenager mm-hmm. as the face of an eating disorder. And that is not the face of an eating disorder. That is actually one of the smallest percentages of eating disorders. You see eating disorders in people in large bodies who've been desperately dieting to try to get smaller. And so many doctors miss the diagnosis because they just want to get smaller and smaller. I know I moved away from the point you were talking about. Oh, this is very interesting. I, I wanted to make this point that you can see eating disorders in all different kinds of people whether I'm going to be honest, whether it's male, female, transgender, any, you know, black, white, Caucasian, Mexican, <laughs> it doesn't matter, brown, every, every color, every ethnicity, there are eating disorders. Mm. And um, you're right, we all have different cultures that we grew up in, but we're all still living in diet culture. Yeah, absolutely. No matter yeah. where we are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. Right. Um, okay. So what is something that people don't understand about eating disorders? I think people don't understand that they can still have an eating disorder despite not being emaciated looking. I think is one of the biggest problems. And I I was alluding to it before, but when a person goes to a physician, let's say for for an exam, and I mean, I've heard such stories. My clients have said, oh, I've gone to the doctor and they look at me, they say, oh my God, you look amazing. What, what, what are you doing? And little do they know that the person in front of them has a severe eating disorder. Maybe that person's throwing up every day. Maybe that person is taking laxatives, but all that a doctor will look at is what a body size is. And so I think that's a really common misperception that to have an eating disorder, you have to be skinny. Um, And I think that people don't realize that if they're suffering from their relationship to food or their body image, they deserve treatment. No matter what their body size is, um, they deserve treatment. And I think that's the number one thing I want people to hear, that everyone deserves treatment and respectful treatment because we have a lot of what I call weight bias in the world because of diet culture where, and I hate to say it, but it is in the medical field quite a bit that doctors have this assumption that if you are in a large body, you know, think about the, like, they think, oh, you're lazy or you're, you're, um, um, you, you know, you're not clean. I mean, all these sort of misperceptions of what a person in a larger body is like. So I think that's a very big problem I want to point out. Right, right. That's interesting. And also, you know, what you said earlier about, um, you, you know, and, and this is true too, because I was in the fitness field for almost 15 years before being a wellness coach. And, you you can see somebody who might have what we in our society might consider like a really great fit mm-hmm. thin body or whatever whatever that is right someone can look really healthy on the outside 
but on the inside, they could be not healthy. They could have an eating disorder, right? So we can't judge somebody's health by their body. I think this is a very important point and thank you for bringing it up. Um, we make so many assumptions because you know we, we have internal bias, we all do. And you really cannot tell. There can be a person who is, and I, I actually really like to reclaim the word fat. I don't think that fat is an insulting word. It's just a neutral description of a body type. And a person in a larger body who might be fat can be extraordinarily fit and healthy. Their blood, their, their cholesterol, their blood sugar, all of their internal markers can be totally you know, fine. They can be very fit. They can be you know, exercising seven, six, five, six days a week. And so you can't, again, you can't judge a book by its cover. I think it's really important to continue pointing that out. Yeah. So thank you. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I think now I'm, I think now things are more complicated, <laughs> which is okay, <laughs> which is okay. No, this is good. So now I think what people might be wondering is how do you know if you have an eating disorder? So how can you determine if you might have, you might be on this spectrum? So I'm just going to say that there are a couple of um, tests that one can test. There, there are some questions you can answer. There's actually 26 questions. It's called the Eating Attitudes Test. Mm -hmm. And I hope you'll give a link to that. People can take it online. And it really um, asks questions about their relationship to their body, their relationship to, the, to their food. Um, there's another sort of simpler screening tool called the Scott Test. And it asks questions like, um, have you lost more than... I'm thinking five stone. I don't know what that means, but have you lost a certain number of weight and you have lost a certain number of pounds? Have, have you made yourself throw up? Have you been thinking about food and body X percent of the day? Um, and so they're the very sort of very simple screening tests. But I just want to make a point that we can have those screening tests, but still, I want to say this to people. If you feel that you're constantly running on a hamster wheel, you're dieting all the time, you're becoming obsessed with food, you're thinking about it all the time, you're not wanting to go out with friends to a restaurant because you're worried about your diet. Uh, you won't be able to get the things that you want. Then it's, it's a problem. You know, you don't have to necessarily take these screening tests. You can, you can think to yourself, I'm really unhappy with what's going on with my eating behavior. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's, it's, you know, we can, we can use these screening tools for more precise measurements, but we can also ask ourselves, what's our relationship like with our food and our weight and our body? Are we happy? Are we pleased with it? Mm -hmm. Or would it be helpful to talk to somebody? Mm -hmm. Right. And for help. Right, right. So, um, so this is a 26 question quiz mm -hmm. called the Eating Attitudes Test, right? I think that's probably one of the most accurate ones. It's a little, it's more, it's more involved than the scoff test, which is really just five questions. I really prefer the Eating Attitudes Test, and I have a link for that. Perfect. So go and take that. Great. I'll put that in the show notes. Great. So let's say somebody listening goes and takes that test and let's say uh, it determines that they are on the spectrum somewhere. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what are some things that women can start doing if they find that result through the test? If they find that they have either disordered eating or an eating disorder, I think that it's important to reach out for help. Help is always there. So it can be a therapist um, it can be a doctor, um, it can be a dietitian, but someone who's a health professional is there to help. Um, if someone comes and says, I'm worried, I have an eating disorder, the, that professional will know what to do and will know how to assess 
whether it's really serious, whether there are medical complications, because that's something also in terms of the difference between disordered eating and an eating disorder. With an eating disorder, there are both emotional, you know, psychological issues, but also physical problems, physical damage to the body. When a person is not eating enough, is starving over a period of time, even if a person doesn't lose weight, the, the body needs to keep itself alive. And so it, it basically uses our own muscle as fuel. And so we can have some um, medical complications. So I think it's very important to speak to a doctor, to reach out to a therapist. Um, you know, it's not, it's not, um, it's, what am I trying to say? It's a little bit more serious. It's something to really take into account and, and not to minimize. Um, yeah. 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 So it's, it's something that is worth really getting help for is what Absolutely. you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So what do you see in, um, in your clients when they've worked through all this stuff? Like why, why would it, what, like, why is this worth it? I guess, right. To go, go to a, to take this test, you know, and if you are there and you have an eating disorder, disordered eating mm -hmm. to reach out for help, to pay the money or to take the time or to go through all of the stuff you're going to have to go through, maybe talking to a therapist about yeah. this. What is on the other side of that? Like, why would somebody go through all of that oh, to work on this? What's on the other side is, is a beautiful life, is making peace with food, making peace with your body image, being able to eat normally. I think that um, you know, living in a diet culture, we don't even know what normal eating is. And um, you know, to me, normal eating is being able to eat all kinds of foods um, that are delicious and tasty and satisfying, um, not to be afraid of your food, to recognize that, um, that we make all kinds, I'm gonna put this in quotations, we make mistakes with our eating sometimes, we might eat more than we realize because we ate, went to a restaurant and the food was delicious, um, we get it from the table and we feel, oh my God, I'm so full, but that that's really normal. I think it's really important to recognize that we're never gonna have perfect eating. And, um, eating is about balance and moderation and pleasure. And eating is about connecting with family and friends. It's, it's not um, just about being the healthiest person in the, in the room, um, which is really what dieting, I think, um, dieting promotes, trying to eat in a certain way that's going to help you be the healthiest you can be and help you live forever. And, you know, eating is, again, part of living. And, and the freedom of enjoying foods, I think, is, is just tremendous tremendously freeing. And that's what all of my clients tell me, that their life was small when they were in their eating disorder. And what happened on the other side is they got a life. And I, I love that example. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is really true. And, and although I don't do the same thing as, as you do, Erica, um, I do help my clients with, with their eating habits as well. And, and it's exactly the, the same responses. You know, there's a freedom to being able to, um, to change your perspective on food and body image and weight and, you know, what that looks like. And it really is worth it, you know, especially, I mean, even in midlife, you know, and a lot of clients, I don't know about you, but they come to me and um, they think, and they say, you know, I should have all this figured out by now. Like, why has it taken me so long? Right. But, you know, it doesn't matter as long as you, you do work on it and, and we can say, um, 
you know, through our own battles and, and all of that, I think, and then also helping our clients that it is worth it. There's a freedom there that is just so beautiful and, and wonderful. Yes, absolutely. And I want to make a point about that, that it is very common that someone in midlife will, will come and say, why have I not figured this out? Why this, this eating disorders, only teenagers get this. And I say, it doesn't matter. This is where you are now. Let's focus on you having freedom and enjoying the rest of your life in, in a, in a much better way, not being preoccupied with food and your weight. So yeah, they're constantly beating themselves up, as you said, thinking that why, why is it taking so long to figure it out? But it doesn't matter. Help is available. Right. Right. And think about it. Let's say you're in your fifties or even sixties. You know, you have, you know, 20, 30 plus more years to live, you know, I mean, it, it really is worth it to, to figure this out, go through the hard work of, of doing this and then coming out the other side and enjoying the rest of your life and, and, and breaking those shackles of, of, you know, food and dieting and, and all of that kind of stuff, you know? Absolutely. And I'll just say that midlife women in particular have a different perspective on life than some, let's say someone who's younger, who has a, you know, struggling with their eating when we're in midlife, we have more of our values figured out. We know some of the things that we want to do in our lives. And I think it's a perfect time to um, work on more freedom. <laughs> so beautiful, yeah. beautifully said. Thank you, Erica. So Erica, I'm going to put your, um, I'm going to put the, the link to the eating attitudes test for anybody who wants to do that. You have a Facebook page, you have LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, you're all over social media. You have a website and then you have several online courses through teachable as well. So I'm going to put all of those show notes, all of those in the show notes. Um, and, and Erica, this is a fascinating topic. Uh, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and, and sharing all of this with us today. Oh, really. This is my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Kim, for all that you do as well. If you find the Me Time Midlife podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. The best way is to simply tell your midlife friends about it. It also helps the show's visibility if you rate and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or simply directly in your Apple Podcasts app if you listen to the show that way. And if you want more me time in your life and continue the conversations we have on the show with other women on a similar journey, consider joining our Me Time Midlife community on Facebook. Simply search for Me Time Midlife Community in your Facebook search bar or go to metimemidlifepodcast.com to learn more. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, remember, you've been taking care of everyone else. It's your turn to take care of you.